and now we turn to our reading, which is from Acts chapter 8 and verses 1 to 25. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said with shrieks evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed to the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And now let's turn to David for today's message. Well, today we're continuing in our sermon series called The Kingdom Advances. And we're waking our way through the book of Acts as we do so. And we reach Acts chapter 8, the first half of Acts chapter 8. And today I want to talk to you about gospel change. Specifically, two changes that are brought about by the gospel of good news of Jesus Christ. Now there's lots we could be looking at, but I just want to focus in today on just four verses, verses four to eight. Let's read them again. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, 
and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Great joy. That's what the gospel brings about. That's what the good news brings about. Great joy. Now, earlier this week, I received an email from someone who lives uh, near Munich in Germany. And they were writing to let us know that they've been following us online for many weeks now. They've been joining us for our online services. And they just wanted to thank us for uh, the good news that they've heard and to say that they consider themselves part of our church family. And rightly so. They're hugely welcome as part of our church family. You see, this person is just one of many who have been joining us online from further afield. And we want, if that's you today, we want to say you are warmly welcome with us, no matter where you may be. You see, on any given week, we are joined by people from across the nation and even further afield. But there's one common thread that unites all these people. These people don't know each other, but there's a common thread that unites them all. And it's this. They were all invited by someone. They were all invited by either a friend or a family member to join us for our online service and to hear for themselves the good news of Jesus Christ. They didn't hear about our service through uh, online social media campaign or through television or radio. They didn't uh, stumble across us after a Google search. Rather, someone took the time and the risk to share with them the good news of Jesus. You know, it hasn't been the central institution that has invited these people. It has been a movement of the people of God. So why am I sharing this with you today? Well, this is an illustration of the first gospel change that we find in our passage today. In our passage today, we see that there is a transition from the people of God seeing church as an institution to becoming a movement, from institution to a movement. In verse 1, we read that there was a great persecution that broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the apostles uh, stayed put, the key leaders of this fledgling church stayed in Jerusalem, and everyone else was scattered. So if you were reading this for the first time and you didn't know what was coming up, you'd probably assume that this was the beginning of the end for the church. After all, everyone is scattered. But then in verse 4, we read the reason why this persecution, this scattering, didn't lead to the destruction of the church, but rather it led to an explosion of growth for the church. Let's read again verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. This is the first gospel change that we see in our passage today. The church of Jesus Christ moves from becoming a fledgling institution to becoming a dynamic movement. The church of Jesus has always meant to be a movement, a movement where everyone contributes and shares the vision to see the world reached for Jesus, a movement where everyone, through word and deed, through how they live their lives, shares the good news of Jesus. 
where the mission isn't left to those at the centre, but rather everyone shares the mantle, the responsibility and the privilege of being part of this mission. You see, the apostles are in Jerusalem and it is those that are scattered that are sharing the good news where they went. You see, the role of the apostles or the central church is to stabilise and unify the movement. That was the case in our passage today and, it's, and it continues to be the case today. In our passage today, in the second half of our passage today, we read that Peter and John visit Samaria. And in doing so, they bring about unity and stability to this new movement that's taken off. So, the first and an important gospel change that we see in our passage is this transition from becoming an institution to becoming a movement. This ability to be able to adapt and transition in this way is of vital importance for the church today. You know, the government has called for our physical buildings to be closed and restrictions are likely to continue to be placed upon our worship even when we're permitted to gather together in person. For instance, we haven't been able to worship out loud together since the beginning of lockdown back in March. So church life, church family life is very different and we need to be able to be to adapt, to be nimble, to be agile. And this is and, and, and as part of this adaption, we need to recognise that we're not meant to be an institution. We're meant to be a movement far more exciting. Let me illustrate the importance of this uh, through two other examples of churches being closed. The first example is the closing of churches in Russia under communist rule. The churches were closed, the communities were scattered and the church faded away. It all but disappeared. The second example is the closing of churches in China, again underneath communist rule. And the same happened. The churches were closed, the communities were scattered. But something very different happened in the second case. Rather than the church fading away and disappearing, the church suddenly exploded in growth. The same conditions, both under communist rule, but two completely opposite outcomes. So what happened? What can account for this difference? Well, the church in Russia failed to adapt. It had become reliant on the central church. They'd grown to be customers rather than contributors. They'd looked to the central church to feed them, to give them everything, to do everything for them. And so when the institution itself was closed under, under communist rule, the church began to disappear and to fade away. Now contrast that to China. After World War II, the Communist Party took control of the country and threw out all the Western missionaries. You're probably thinking, bad news. Now, up until this point, the whole church in China had become more and more reliant upon these Western missionaries for everything, for finances, to, to do the work of sharing the gospel for them. But when the Communist Party threw out these Western missionaries, the Chinese church was quick to adapt. And the church was scattered, but they moved from becoming customers to contributors. And like our passage today, the people, when they were scattered, shared the good news wherever they went. 
And the result of this transition from being an institution to a movement, what was the result? Well, the church in China exploded. There's no other word for it. In 50 years, the church in China witnessed a 50-fold increase in the number of followers of Jesus. That is mind-boggling, mind-boggling fantastic, you know, if, if that's, that's even a phrase. You know, what would this mean for us in the UK today? Well, recent stats estimate that 5% of the UK population attend church every week. So if we were to see a comparable rate of growth in the church uh, today as, as, as the Chinese church saw, then by 2040, in 20 years' time, the entire nation would be wholehearted followers of Jesus. The church in Russia disappeared when the churches were closed. The church in China saw an explosion of growth when their churches were closed. And the difference was, well, the church in China was able to transition from becoming an institution over-reliant, they were overly reliant upon these Western missionaries, but they were able to transition, weren't they? They were able to change into a dynamic movement in which everyone shared the vision and everyone was involved in sharing the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel change that we see in our passage today that led to an explosion of growth in the early church as the gospel moved from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This transition from institution to movement is the gospel change that led to an explosive growth in the Chinese church under communist rule. And it's this same transition that we need to pray for today if we want to see our nation changed for Jesus, one for Christ. So that's the first gospel change that we are praying for today. A movement from church being seen as an institution to the people of God becoming an unstoppable movement. The second gospel change we see in our passage today is one of hostility to unity. A movement from hostility to unity. In verse 5 of our passage uh, we read a few words that it's easy for us to skim over today. Let's read them again. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Seems fairly bland, non-offensive. You see, what is difficult for us to conceive is the sheer boldness of the step that Philip took in preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. See, the hostility between the, the Jews and the Samaritans is hard to underestimate. It lasted more than a thousand years and had been rooted in historical uh, conflicts and, and uh, racial tensions and religious tensions. They despised one another. And yet Philip goes and shares the good news of Jesus with them. Later in this passage, we also find John, the Apostle John, laying his hands upon the Samaritans and praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit. This is the same Apostle that when back in Luke chapter 9, we hear this same Apostle call it, wanting to call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritan city. And yet John has a gospel change in his heart and he moves from hostility 
to unity. You see, there was a deep-seated, centuries-old hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans, and yet in this passage, we witness a remarkable gospel change in Philip's lives, in John's life, in the life of all those that were ministering amongst the Samaritans. And, I, and it's a gospel change that we so desperately need in our world today. This transition from hostility to unity. So how does this change come about? What on earth could have happened that meant that Philip was happy to share the good news with the Samaritans and that John would be happy to lay his hands upon them and pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Well, this gospel change is a change that has to take place upon every human heart. We need to allow the gospel to transform us from the inside out, to challenge us and to change us. And it's only when the gospel is allowed to challenge and change us will it move us from hostility to unity because we can't do it in our own strength. You see, whatever people group we've grown up in, you know, we've either been consciously or, or more likely unconsciously, we've learned to look down on others. It's just how identity is formed. Our identity is formed often over and against some other people group. And this is what it means to be immersed in the world, that to, to either a greater or a lesser degree, our hearts uh, gather within them feelings of superiority to others or inferiority against others. We think of ourselves as being better than others and, and all of a sudden pride fills our hearts. And yet at the same time, we also find ourselves feeling inferior to others and we become defensive and resentful and fearful and so we have these feelings both at the same time of superiority and inferiority and these mixture of feelings leads to hostility and so it's no wonder that almost everywhere we look we see division and conflict we look across uh, the waters and we see the US and it's the reds versus the blues democrats and republicans here in the UK, we've got um, uh, the leaves, the leavers and the remainers. And, uh, and then things are scaled up a bit more, aren't they? So that in Ethiopia, there's this prospect of, of looming civil war in that country. So how does the gospel move us from hostility to unity? Well, the good news of Jesus Christ, first of all, reminds us that we are all sinners. That whether we like to admit it or not, the gospel tells us that we are sinners in need of a saviour. And that's who Jesus is. He's our saviour. But we need to admit first that we're a sinner, that we need saving. We're never going to take the medicine unless we realise that we need saving. And when we realise this, that we're sinners, this truth destroys these feelings of superiority that reside in our hearts. And yet, at the same time, the gospel doesn't just leave us there. The gospel also tells us that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, loves us so much that he died upon the cross for you. That he died an awful, agonising death because he loves you. And this truth destroys the 
inferiority that we have within our hearts. And so the more that we understand and embrace the gospel, the more it strips from us our pride and our defensiveness, our feelings of inferiority and superiority. And over time, this leads to a change within us as we transition from hostility to unity, from a place where we are fearful of the other and we define ourselves over and against the other to a place where we can reach out in love to everyone. And so the gospel breaks down racial tensions, socioeconomic tensions, ethnic tensions, political tensions, every kind of division and hostility. And this is why the church should be at the forefront of reconciliation and of reaching out to others. But we need to allow this gospel to work upon our own human hearts. You see, our default mode is to be like how the world wants us to be, how the world tells us to be. You know, we, we repeat the news that we're fed, we tend to only see our side of the argument, one side of the argument. We find ourselves often in our own private echo chambers. And so we need to catch ourselves. And we need to catch ourselves and remind ourselves that we're to reach out to others. That the gospel tells us that we're neither superior or inferior to anyone else. And there will be a time again, do you know? There will be a time again when we can have coffee together after church. I know it seems completely unrealistic, but, but there will be a time and it will be a novelty and it will be lovely. But in those times when we're thinking about having that coffee and cake together, let me ask you a question. Who would you gravitate towards? To those people that are like you? our friends, the people that we can easily relate to, the people that we have things in common with, or will we catch ourselves? Will we catch ourselves and reach out to others? You see, the vision of the church in this passage and the vision of the church today is a family where everyone is welcome and we're all united around Jesus and we're all equal before our Saviour. That whatever uh, your ethnicity, background, whether you're old or young, rich or poor, married or single, all are equally valued, loved and accepted. So these are just two of the gospel changes that we find in our passage this morning. The gospel brings about great transformation in many other ways, but today we just wanted to look at two of them. The change from being an institution to becoming a dynamic movement. Isn't that exciting? And a change from hostility to unity, where we can reach out to others in love. And even in the midst of these difficult times, and it is difficult, we're, we're in, a, in a second lockdown and uh, we're feeling tired and perhaps exhausted. Even in these difficult times, we catch a glimpse of the beautiful arc of the gospel. A gospel that proclaims to us that through Jesus' death comes eternal life. That through seeming defeat on the cross comes everlasting victory. Or as our passage today reveals, through persecution comes great growth. Hostility is transformed into unity. 
and the deep mourning that we read about in verse 2. Verse 2 starts with a deep mourning. Well, it moves that deep mourning into the great joy of verse 8. Wherever you are on your journey, whether you feel as if you're in that bottom of that dip, that you're experiencing great mourning and deep-seated uh, hostility, or whether you feel as if you're on the upward curve, I pray that you would experience gospel transformation in your life. That the gospel would change your life and that you would know that great joy spoken of in our passage. Let's end by praying together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit afresh upon us. We need your Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Send your Holy Spirit to work upon our hearts, to bring about gospel transformation, that we would move from having feelings of hostility to being able to reach out in unity. Inspire us, we pray, to become a movement of people on fire with love for you. And take us, Lord, from feelings of great mourning to great joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Saints, let's worship together.